turn your empties into sport opportunities with the Kids Sport Recycling Program. It's easy. Skip the blue bin and instead use the Kids Sport Recycling Program pickup service. Once your bag is full of empties, just text 403-680-8776, 403-680-8776 to schedule your pickup. Then sit back and relax because they will take care of the rest. Their pickup service covers residential areas, schools, sporting facilities, golf courses, and businesses. All the funds collected from this program are donated to Kidsport Calgary to help make it so all kids can play. Just four bags can put a child in soccer or swimming lessons. You can make a local child's sports dreams come true simply by donating your empties. Get started today by texting 403-680-8776, 403-680-8776, or visiting www.kidsportrecycling.ca. This podcast is provided in part by Sport Calgary, partners of Kids Sport Calgary. Sport Calgary, tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events? Visit www.sportcalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. Sport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your hosts Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. Welcome back to the Face First Podcast. My name is Alicia Riz Rizling, and my co-host is My name is Grace Defoe. When we are back with you with a new exciting guest, I am coming to you from Back in Whistler, uh, sliding and uh, reaching those top speeds. The track was really quick today. I had a little incident in corner 13. But um, we're, we're getting ready to break here for the Christmas break um, and then hopefully heading to Europe after Christmas. Grace, where are you? I have to say I'm a little jealous because we have finally swapped, I guess, and now I'm back at home in Calgary after six weeks in Whistler. And... Uh, and I, I'm definitely missing sliding, but we don't really know what the new year's looking like, but that's okay. We're just like COVID, things are evolving day by day, but just taking it as it comes. But I think I'm for sure missing the fast ice, so I'm pretty jealous, Riz. <laughs> and I must say congratulations to you as uh, recently I saw you were officially named to the Canadian national team. Congratulations, Grace. Thank you. And I, and I believe the congratulations should be extended back because you have also kind of finished your comeback to make the senior national team as well. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. I was named to the World Cup team. So happy about that. And now I'm doing some sled testing and hopefully be fast when we finally get a chance to compete again. But today we have a fantastic guest with us that I'm super excited to interview. Slow down. Slow down. So for those of you who don't know, behind the scenes here, Mr. Rob Kerr has been doing our editing and our intros on all the podcasts. And today we finally get to grill him. (laughs) Rob, thanks for joining us. I don't know, Rob. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, thanks for joining us. I uh... I, I appreciate it. It's great to be on with you guys. I just want to say, because this is, I believe, the 10th podcast now and it's it's been so much fun just kind of being behind the scenes i'm so used to being on that side and this has been a lot of fun just watching the two of you guys get your legs and didn't take long and it's really enjoyable it's a lot of fun and it's really needed so i think it's just awesome so congratulations to both of you i mean congratulations both making your teams first of all but uh boy it's been a lot of fun with you guys here uh 10 podcasts in 
Well, thanks. I don't know if I like you better now with the video on or behind the scenes, but I guess we'll find <laughs> out by, by the end. I know what I'd prefer. <laughs> well, Rob, you're just like the king of media in Calgary, I feel like. So why don't we get started with that? Like, sure. tell us a little bit about your career and, and sure. how you got to your position now um, <laughs> and maybe even go into details about that with the Hitman. Sure. Well, it's... it's um... It's a different story, I'll tell you that, because uh, I was uh, the only degree, the only diploma I have. I I missed graduating from high school by one point, so I do not have a high school diploma. But the good folks at Nate didn't really matter, so they let me into Forest Technology. And when I was seventeen, and at nineteen, I got a Forest Technology diploma, and then I joined the Alberta Forest Service, and I was a forest officer for about five years up in Fort McMurray, and you know, worked fire control and harvesting and oil and gas and, you know, public relations and all that. So it was a fun gig. But while I was up there, um, I started volunteering with ABC TV 10, which was the local cable company. And at that time, so this is the early 90s, at that time, the CRTC still, you know, demanded that X amount of hours of local programming needed to be provided by the cable company. So, they had to do 40 hours of programming, and I, I got in there, won Alberta Games, and, and, you know, they had a whole bunch of jobs up on the board. The Alberta Games, they needed drivers, they needed timekeepers, and um, I just looked up at the board, and it said hockey play-by-play, and I said, well, I'll do that. I don't you know, why not? So um, that way I got in with the cable company, and lo and behold, in about a year later, I became the television voice of the Fort McMurray Oil Barons of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And I also um, did a little uh, a one-hour uh, talk show Tuesday nights in Fort McMurray called Northern Prime. And I wrote a monologue, and we had guests, and we did skits. Because why wouldn't I want to be David Letterman at 21? Um, and I look back at it now, and it was awesome, but it was terrible. Just terrible. But it was a start. And um, Ralph Klein decided in 1995 it didn't need as many civil servants as he had. So I, I took a buyout and applied to SAIT and got into CTSR and, and the broadcast news end of it. Um, went there, but was a, an older student, so I didn't quite fit in with my class. And I uh, hooked up with uh, Ken Babby, who was the head coach of the hockey team, and we got talking about AJHL players. And Ken at the time had a part-time assistant coach, but he couldn't come for practices. So Ken was coaching this ACAC team with by himself. So he just asked me if I had skates, and I said, sure. So he brought me on the ice, and I'd set up all the pucks, and he'd do all the coaching. So I got a real master class in, in hockey close-up, which was really good for me. And the next year, he took over as athletic director, and he hired me to run his um, media and his game operations and stuff like just because i have i'm full of crap so i got lots of ideas and i kept feeding him ideas and he let me do the ideas so some of them worked and some of them failed miserably but the one that did work since i'll tell it is um say we we didn't really have a mascot so we had a monkey costume so we just created a monkey and we got we we put out a little note looking for a mascot and um the guy that applied he said, do you have a unicycle? And I said, no. He said, oh, because um, I can ride a unicycle. So we bought a unicycle. And we were cleaning up this room behind the bowling alley, and we found all these brass instruments. So I said to Paul, 
any chance you play the trombone or the trumpet? He goes, absolutely, I play the trumpet. So then we had a monkey who rode a unicycle that played a trumpet. So that's probably to this date my biggest accomplishment ever. Um, and we built everything around the monkey. So the monkey and I, because we had to do volleyball, basketball, golf, cross country, soccer, hockey, you know, we couldn't just focus on hockey. So the monkey and I uh, did a basketball halftime show, a dunk show. We had a bunch of uh, little uh, uh, trampolines. So um, I'd play the straight Dude, man. Wait, I got I to interrupt. Were you participating in this or you were just facilitating this? Nope. So I would run up. And I would hit the trampoline, and I would throw the ball off, off the backboard, and the monkey would follow me, and he'd slam it. And then, so we were doing stuff like that. And then hockey was cool, because if you've ever been to the Sade Arena, it had a, used to have a track around it. So I, I mentioned that area behind the bowling alley we cleaned out. We had this giant crash mat. So we put the crash mat on the far side of the rink below the, so you couldn't see it. Like, it was there, but you couldn't see it. And we put a trampoline there. So every time the Trojans would score, the monkey would take off and he'd flip it in the air and he'd land on the crash mat and people loved it. Well, then basketball got mad because they wanted something. So we invented a game called Blind Monkey Basketball. So the whole idea was we would take a hood and put it over the monkey's head and then we'd hand him a basketball and bring somebody out of the crowd, two people out of the crowd, and they had to tell the monkey what to do and try and make as many points as possible. So throw the ball, monkey, turn jump, all that sort of stuff. Every once in a while, you got through two or three points. So we had this one time, which was my crowning achievement. Um, we had a kid who just blew it up, like got 12 points with the monkey in 60 seconds. So then this this girl, about 12 years old, was the he, she goes out there. Well, she couldn't get the monkey to do anything. And with one second left... The monkey was right underneath the uh, the basket, and she yelled, dunk. So Paul jumped straight up in the air, and he hit the rim. And he came crashing back down. He's flat on his back in the St. Jim. Crowd's quiet. We're, I rush out there because I think he's knocked out. And the 12-year-old girl bends over the monkey and says, you suck, <clears throat> which is to this day one of the greatest reactions I've ever seen anything. So... That kind of got me going into the, the the entertainment side of things. I liked that. But I chased the hockey dream to Esteban, Saskatchewan. I served three years in Esteban, worked at a radio station for ha- uh, for a year, and then I got hired by the hockey team. So I did the radio broadcast, and I did all the promotional and the marketing and, and the game operations there. So I cut my teeth there. At the SJHL? Yeah, the SJHL. Yeah, junior A hockey. It was really cool. Like, um we we were the first team in Western Canada to broadcast our radio games on the internet. So this is 1997. Um, so my wife used to take what I don't think we can call a ghetto blaster anymore, but a ghetto blaster, and she plugged it into our computer at 7 o'clock when the game started, and we streamed the broadcast from the radio into the computer and out to the world. So that was... and. Uh, Sastel was just looking for somebody to try it. So we tried it. And so we did lots of stuff like that, which was really cool. Um, And then in in 2000, I got an opportunity to go to Louisville, Kentucky, of the American Hockey League, the Louisville Panthers, who were the number one affiliate of Florida at that point. And uh, at the same time, when I got that, uh, my friend Mark Stiles, who was working for the Calgary Hitmen, I told him about it. And then the Hitmen wanted to talk to me. 
And then mm-hmm. I, my friend Rick Dillabo, who was, uh, runs the brand, still does, the Brandon Wheat Kings, he told Kelly McCrimmon, and Kelly McCrimmon wanted to talk to me. So I had these three job offers at the same time. So, of course, I took the American job um, because I wanted, we flew down. They flew us to Louisville, Kentucky, my wife and I, and we looked around, and why not? This is awesome. Let's do this. You're one step away from the NHL. So Change it up, a little bit of new culture. Right, yeah. exactly. So the funny thing about that, um, apparently, the U.S. government doesn't deem a forest technology diploma enough accreditation for somebody to take a job in sports. So I got all the documents from the lawyer, and I went down to North Portal, 20 minutes south of Esteban, and he told me it's going to take you 30 minutes, five-minute interview, 25 minutes for them to write, uh, run the background check on you. Four and a half hours later, I was officially... Uh, thrown out of the United States, and I had the document to prove it. I had to go back to the Canadian side, and they had to let me back in. So I sold my house, of course, so I didn't have a place to live, so we moved home to my family in Edmonton. And for six months, I tried to get to Louisville, but it never worked. Meanwhile, the guy that I grew up listening to in Edmonton, John Short, who did sports talk radio through the glory days of the Oilers and things like that, he was back doing a show late at night, and I, I just sent him an email one day, and I said, Hey, John, boy, a big fan from way back. Good to hear you on the radio. That's all I said. And he said, Whoa, that's cool to hear. You know, if you ever want to come up, we're doing the show live at Northlands, um, the racetrack there. So I had nothing to do. So one night I just went up and watched John do his show. And we got talk. We talked for four hours after his show from like 1130 to like 330 in the morning in the parking lot. And then was, he, it a, was it about horse racing or was it about sports like, broadcasting? Just about sports broadcasting. Because I had already done some, you know, but I hadn't done sports talk radio. So John John invited me to come down. So I'd go down every night. I would mostly listen. And every once in a while, he'd have a, a break or an empty segment. So I'd come on and talk. And then um, about two months in, he wanted to go down to uh, Montana for. Uh, a, a weekend, so he wanted to take Friday night off, and he asked me if I'd host the show. So I hosted my first ever sports talk show in a bar at a racetrack from 9 to 11, um, and it was fun, and it was fun. So we started a little company there called AnySportAnyTime.com, and we started doing uh, internet broadcasting um, and little like minor sports like high school football and um, sprint cars and you know just AJHL, ACAC. We did all that stuff. Um, but we were way ahead of our time. Like we were way ahead. We were really, what we were was kind of like over the top Netflix, just audio, but we were, you know, a a clearinghouse for amateur sports broadcasting, but we were way too early. Um, but then like, you're like the actual original podcast. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's what I was thinking too. No, not podcasting. It was broadcasts. Like it was games. It was play by play games and stuff, but you would listen to it on the web. Right. And we we got advertisers and stuff like that. And then in 2001, 1260, we left 1260 in Edmonton and we went to the old CJCA slot, which was uh, 930 CJCA in Edmonton, I believe. But it was now the light. So John did a three and a half hour sports talk show on a Christian station. Yeah. Yep. So it was an interesting experience, to say the least. A very diverse audience. So then I did a couple of, you know, fill-ins for John on stuff, and they said, well, do you want to do your own show? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, it costs $50,000. I 
So I went to the bank, and the bank gave me $50,000. I don't know why. To this day, I don't know why they would do that. So then I started a show 11 to 1 in the morning on a Christian station to talk sports. And, and you paid for it yourself. Yep. 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 Wow. Yep. Yep. And then it was cool. Like, we got an audience right away. Um, I connected with people uh, just because I, I love talking to people and and we you know we had fun and and I was younger than John so I, I came in in a different way and I got really I I just really liked it I I enjoyed it and didn't think at all about you know now I think back eleven to one two hour show so they had they do like one of those um, religious shows like the 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 ones that are all like the I can't remember what it's called but it was one across all across. North America and all the small towns ran it. And the same thing happened every year, you know, due to the lack of money coming out of Estevan, uh, this show has canceled its contract. Now, by the end of the week, we can get more people to donate so that we can go to God. You know, that stuff happened all the time. But that was my lead in. So every once in a while, the Oilers would play a hockey game and we'd open the lines. Hey, what did you think of the game? Oh, I, you know, I thought Doug Waite did this or George LaRock's got to do more. And then somebody would invariably call and go, why do they play Britney Spears in the arena? She's a sinner. So <laughs> it was like a really interesting, yeah, it was really interesting. And so I did that for about a year and a half. And um, funny story about that. I, the show was called Any Sport, Any Time. Uh, sorry, um, not that was the website. Uh, Just a Game was the name of the show. And I, I had it for about, a, about 14 months. And then the young guy that was working with us, Jason Greger, took it over, and now it's the biggest show in Edmonton. Uh, just a game with Jason Greger on Team 1260. It's huge. And and that's I bug him all the time because that was my name. But that's okay. Um, I got I got hired up in Calgary to do uh, Flames pre- and post-game shows on what then was just a fledgling little sports station, Fan 960, in May, May 5th of 2003. And then the rest, they say, is history. 2011, Sportsnet hired me for three years to do uh, Flames games on TV, and then I came back to radio. And 2018, I just kind of felt like I've done all the radio and I've done everything I want to do. I'm going to retire from radio. And Mike Moore runs the Hitman. I kept telling him, giving him ideas. You know, I'm never short of stuff. I'm just always telling people what they should do. And he said, well, why don't you come work? And I'd already done it in Esteban. I'd done it a little bit with Sate. So this was a, a chance for me to go. And I really like how the Hitmen are connected to the community. And I thought there's a lot of cool things we could do in the community. And now I'm the assistant business manager of the Calgary Hitmen and have been for the last two and a half years. So that's all. I want to know, I want to know when Farley is um, going to get on a unicycle and play an instrument. That's all I want to know. <laughs> I was so blessed. Paul Pasikowski was his name. And he was taking an engineering course at SAIT. And, like, it's really one of those dumb luck write-a-book stories. Like, he was the first guy that came in to apply for the mascot job, and he asks us if we got a unicycle. So I go to my boss, Ken Babby. Do we have a unicycle? He goes, no. How much do they cost? So I call the bike shop, 110 bucks. Buy it. So we bought it. And then the trumpet. And then it was just because there was no rules. Like, I, I don't work good with rules. Um, I, I, I want to freelance. I want to do my own thing. And I really don't want somebody to tell me it won't work because if they tell me it won't work, then I'm going to force it and I'm going to make it work. And that was kind of the cool part about SAIT was we were doing all this stuff for hockey and the basketball programs and the volleyball programs are all going, well, what about us? Rightfully so. What about us? 
And so we, we were forced to be creative. We were forced to change. And I think that probably had as big an impact on my career as anything. You, uh, you just said, Oh, go ahead, Alicia. Okay. I was going to say, you just said that you kind of don't like to play with the rules. Was that part of the appeal of maybe leaving broadcasting and going to work with the hitmen? Is that you kind of got to do a different thing? Yeah, I think so. But with the understanding that I was joining a major, you know, sports corporation in CSEC, right? Now, I knew that by working with the Hitman, I could do things that I couldn't do with the Flames. And, and, that, and that's fine. Um, but I think I went to Mike with a laundry list of, well, why don't we do this? Or why couldn't we do this? Or why couldn't we do that? And some of it we've tried, and, and some of it we never got to. But, you know, I, I would point to probably one of my personal crowning achievements, in my mind, was we got a wrestling ring on the ice 20 minutes after a hockey game and then had wrestling matches like that. That to me was just the best. Like it was not, not only did I get to be in the battle Royal, but we got it done and people stuck around and people had a great time. And then one of the wrestlers jumped off the Zamboni sign and my boss lost his, you know, stuff and wouldn't talk to me for a day, but that's okay. That's the kind of stuff I like. So, I, you know, everybody, what do you do? Well, I'm the assistant business manager of the Calgary Hitman. What does that mean? Uh, really what I am is I'm a poop disturber and, and I'm a pain in the ass. And I just like to force things and, and do the things that we want to do and make it happen. Okay, well, I want to go back in the sure. story. So you, you started pretty early in your career as a play-by-play for hockey. Did you grow up around hockey? Did you play? What's your experience? Of yeah, so, well, I, I love that question because – Hockey was it for me, so my dad was really into hockey. And um, but my dad was very, very sick when I was young, and and for most well for all of my life. So um, he he tried to he coached me when I was really young, but he just health wise he couldn't. But but he was an Oilers season ticket holder, and we always talked about hockey and always liked hockey. And um, we took a trip. Uh, the Oilers played the uh, Flames in the first game at the Saddle Dome, so we came down on a bus from Edmonton to watch that game. And cool. yeah, it was really cool. My dad doesn't drink and I was 13 years old or whatever it is. And it was a booze cruise. So it was really odd, but we, <laughs> we, we got to the game and yeah, it was, it was awesome. So yeah, I played all my life. Um, I, I joke all the time um, and, and understand that there's a message here. That's why I'm bringing it up, but I am absolutely the single worst, not even close, bar none athlete to have their name honored in the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame. Now, of course, I'm a broadcaster, but um, I went in solely because of my love of hockey and what I learned from hockey and my passion for hockey, and it became real apparent I wasn't going to be a junior player, I wasn't going to be a pro player, but I still wanted to make it. I still wanted to do my thing, and that drove me. that's driven me all through my life that um, – you know, I think later in life, I learned, really learned the importance of sport, not just hockey. And, and, you know, I have an appreciation for all sports, but no, hockey's been the one, the one passion that I have. I still play today poorly. Um, you know, I, I just, I love it. Um, I'm worried about it. I, I fret about it a lot. I'm mad at it. Um, but it's my, it's my passion for sure. Wow. That's pretty incredible. And it loves you so Another part of the story that I wanted to reflect on mm. is the $50,000 loan. So yeah. at this point, were you not getting paid? You were just doing this for the love? I was getting, yeah, I was getting a, a I was getting $3,000 a month. So I was making $36,000. Um, 
So um, I took the loan out and like I, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, I never saw advertising. I never saw any of that. It was, I mean, who's buying ads on a sports talk show on a Christian station at 11 o'clock at night? Like who? (laughs) Right. We, we did a few things. It's funny. The only thing we ever got was Buck, Buckley's cold medicine. They sent us a whole bunch of these um, kits, like little lunch boxes with Buckley's in them. And that became a, a running joke because that's all we could give away was these Buckley's um, cough syrup things. And you know how bad that crap tastes. But it was fun. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that was part of it. So when I left to go to Calgary, I had nothing to show for the 50000 other than the experience. So it's the old adage, you invested in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't really say that financially I, I, I think I lost $50,000, but I think I gained immeasurable experience. I got the job in Calgary solely based on an interview that I had done with Brian Burke when he was the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I interviewed Brian, and I put that on my tape that I sent to Calgary and um, you know, I know who I was up against at the end, uh, and and he's still he's still in the game, and he's very good. But Kelly Kirsch, the program director, told me the difference was you did that interview with Brian Burke, and I really liked it. So, you know, yeah, I lost fifty thousand dollars, but I gained a career. So, yeah, no harm, no foul. Okay, what did I think that's just it's it's a common theme that it's through athletes as well. Like so many of us like spend so much at the bottom, like investing in yourself, like yep. trying yep. and then you get that one break and then maybe you're able to get an, an amateur sort sport. It's a, it's a sponsorship or right. from, um, from more from a hockey standpoint, I guess. And on the men's side, it'd be like, you know, it, it will get you drafted or yep. that sort of deal, yep. but you can get those entry level deals. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes to show that, you know, sometimes you just got to bet on yourself. Oh, and absolutely. It may, may, may not pay off, but hopefully it does. Yeah. Um, that's a great segue, though, into your relationship with Brian Burke and yeah. and some of the ways of how did you get involved to kids sport and in, in particular into Burke's Target for Kids? Yeah. So um, it's funny. Kids sport was always on my radar. Um I did an event with them back in 2007, and, and you guys are probably too young to remember the Schwab. Um, he was a, a researcher for ESPN, and they did a show called Stump the Schwab, and it was running on the score back when it was before 360 and everything. And it was just a trivia show, and um, and he would go up against just – you know, the average Joe and, and it was a fun show for us sports nerds. We loved it. Well, kid sport brought up the Schwab to Calgary and, and we as a radio station were a sponsor. So I interviewed him and then I was the host for that event. So that was my introduction to kid sport was back in 2007. Um, and I, I, I would say it was a little rocky because, um, I was happy to help, but then they said, well, you know, okay, so the big finale will be you and the Schwab. You and the Schwab what? Oh, you, you're going to take on the Schwab. In what? Well, in sports trivia. No, no, no. Like, he's the, he, that's what he does for a living, right? I, you know, I, I often say that. People go, oh, you have all that knowledge in your head. No, I have books, papers, notes. I just, and, this, and then the internet, right? So I was, you know, we ended up doing it, and, and I, I did fine, but it's like, oof, you know, okay. And then really my connection to Kidsport came when Kevin Webster took over, 
because when Kevin Webster took over, he sent out information. For the first time, I knew what Kidsport was doing. I knew who they were helping, I, how many people, where the money was going. It was just like, this is awesome. And I remember calling Kevin. I go, thank you. Like, I, I, I know about these charities that we help, but I never know what they do. And, and he did such a great job of explaining it. And then we just grew a relationship. And I, have a, I had a, well, I have a, a summer hockey camp for underprivileged kids. And we were looking for a fundraiser for that. So we, we did this Targets for Kids event, a trap shooting event, because everybody's doing a golf tournament, all of that. I want to do something different. And then the first year we had like nine teams. And then the second year we had like 11 teams. So it went away for a year. And then Webby and I were talking one day, and I said, you know, I really like this event. And he said, well, why don't we do it for kids sport? And I said, okay. And I tried to explain it to him. And Webby's the best because he had no idea what I was talking about. He didn't. I kept, oh, and the Annie Oakley's the best. And the celebrity Annie Oakley's even better. And he's like, all right, whatever. And (laughs) we went to Brian Burke and said, hey, Berkey, you know, he was with the Flames. You know, and I know Berkey's an outdoorsman, and he had a hunting cabin up by Old's. So we asked him, and he was in. And we went, so it missed a year. When it came back, we went right to 28 teams. And then we sold out the next four years or whatever it was. And um, that event is really cool. Um, You guys have participated in it. That's been the best part of producing your show is how often that show gets or that event gets brought up by athletes. Because you know what it's like. Um, You get invited to golf tournaments. You get invited to other things. And I'm not slagging golf tournaments. I'm just saying that's the common one, right? This is so uncommon. It's so different. And it's the story of my life. It's an event. If if I told you for the first time, tried to explain it to me, you look like you look at me like I had four eyes. But honest to God, everybody who does it for the first time, they all come back and they go, "Oh, now I know what you meant." And and that's the story of my life. So often my ideas and, and are like, "Oh, that's what you meant." And it's Berkey makes that thing sing. You guys as celebrities make it sing. Um, I'm so proud of that event for the simple fact that people are smiling, laughing, connecting, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, I heard, I think Grace, it was you that said like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a good shot or not. There's room for it. It's handicapped. Everybody makes you feel great. Like I love it. It was really disappointing not to do it this year. And Brian just uh, a couple weeks ago did an event for kids sport here in Calgary and unprovoked. He just said, Hey, my name's on that as long as you want it on. And if I can't come, I'll make sure you got celebrities. And, you know, I, I love it. And I, I, to me, the, the most satisfying part is that we've raised money for kids sport, but that ambassadors like it, right? They, they don't feel like they're forced to participate or, oh, no, not that, because it's different. You guys are competitive, and there's an ability for competition, right? So, yeah, that's, that's where it came from. I'm really proud of that one. Yeah, I mean – it, I think I've said this on the podcast before. It was my first event. But it's funny that you say, like, how to explain the feeling that it provokes. Because I was driving in a car down with Trish Jarowski and Michaela Widmer. And yep. they had been, I think, the last year. And, you know, I'm I'm a perpetual planner. And I like to know what to expect. So I'm asking those <laughs> questions. And they, like, it's the same thing. Like, they're saying, oh, well, then the Annie Oakley. And my eyes are like well, what did I get myself into? But yeah. it was so fun. And, and you know, it was kind of, it is that feeling that, um, you know, it's something I'd never done before. I don't golf all that often either, but I don't think it would, I, we shouldn't slide golf this much, but it is such no. an easy invite um, as an athlete ambassador. They're like, come to our golf tournament. And this is different. 
Yeah, it's different. And and it's not about slagging golf. It's just if you look at it in terms of charitable fundraising events, that's the most common one, right? And it's hard for them to stand out and be different. And I just we just wanted something that stands out. And I, honestly, the the one thing as much as I love it, the one thing I have never quite understood is why other groups haven't done it. Like I just don't get it. Like they, you know, they listen to this podcast, they hear it all the time from Kidsport, they heard it on the radio. Everybody raves about it, but nobody else has done it, which is a little mind-boggling to me. That just gave me a good idea that I'm going to do this as an Olympic year fundraiser for myself. Perfect. <laughs> Done. I know so many people who would sign up for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Me in. <laughs> I'll be there. The next thing I wanted to bring up is my favorite day of the year at the Hitman Games. Yeah. And was this part of your doing? And is that that would be the teddy bear toss. No, I inherited Teddy Bear Toss. Teddy Bear Toss came, first year was the first year of the Hitman, but I believe Kamloops had done it before. So um, I don't know why, but it just worked in Calgary right from the get-go. And it, 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 it really became the Western Hockey League season and the Teddy Bear game. And that, you know, it's the only game we have that we have to put on special. It's the only game we have that we have kind of different, uh, you know, season ticket holders get it first and, and then club holders, et cetera, et cetera. It's the only one we do. It like, out. Yeah, well, it, it does. And, you know, it, and I was, I was saying to somebody else today, the, 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 the only twist that I put on it, if you want to say that, well, I guess this year, and we'll talk about that in a second. The only thing that really pissed me off was Hershey, Pennsylvania and the Hershey Bears because they all of a sudden got 30-some-odd, 34,000 Bears three years ago, and they said, We're, hey, we got the world record for teddy bear toss. Except that they spent a couple weeks beforehand collecting bears so that when you came into the building, they had already put three bears on your chair plus whatever you brought. That's a teddy bear collection. So, so they bought their way into the record. Yeah, that's but cheating. no, but I'm I'm saying no, that's a teddy bear collection. And good on like listen, people in Pennsylvania, that's awesome. They get forty thousand bears and they find them. That's terrific. I'm not down my nose on that. But what we do is a toss. What we do is different. The people bring the bears, they bring them to the game, they toss them at the game. So that's how I differentiate it. And this year we knew we knew fairly early. I would say probably in June we began to speculate that I think our thinking was at that time that if we had a game, we'd only have five, 6,000 people at it. That's kind of what we were thinking. Right. So we needed to, we needed to find something. So we began to talk about different ways and methods and, and uh, we talked about a collection. Um, There was a really cool idea that was put forth that I can't really say publicly. I'll tease it a bit. But the reason I won't say it publicly is because it couldn't happen for the right reasons. It couldn't happen because of safety and liability and things like that. It would have been really cool if we could have done it, but it just was never practical. So we fell back to, okay, let's collect bears at the Dome. So what we were originally going to do was get a big dumpster, right, and then just, you know, do it up as a big present. People would throw them into there. And then um, my right hand, well... I honestly, honestly, I work for Amy Bontorin. I know it seems like Amy Bontorin <laughs> technically works for me, but I work for her. And she goes, "Well, we have an inflatable rink. Why don't we use that?" And it's like, "Wow, like that's awesome. People can throw it in the inflatable rink." Then you go, "Well, what else could we do?" 
And now my original plan, or what I one point threw out was, we'll turn Lot A into a Christmas market, and we'll do this, and you'll be 20 minutes going through it. Well, that wasn't practical. But we did, we did want to create a teddy bear lane, and we wanted it to be special. We wanted it to be Christmassy. Um, we were able, we got an outstanding events crew, Dallas Kit. Uh, she's amazing, and she uh, is what I said before. She's the brains of the outfit. I'm just the pain in the ass that gets stuff done and makes things happen. And we combined on this, and and the, you know, uh, the first week of December, we put it weekend, we put it on, and honestly, guys, it, it was just the best thing that I've ever seen in terms of community and, and charitable. Um, it was so needed. People just wanted to get out and do something. We had lights, we had trees, we had the Grinch, we had costumes from the costume shop. One of them was the Grinch, and if you saw the Grinch in it, he, he was just brilliant. And uh, we had music, and we had a Hitman Christmas station that you could listen to in your car, and um, just so much. And, and you know, the, the story I tell all the time is Saturday night, um, from the Dome, we were lined up right down 5th to the train yards, and down over to the Olympic, out in front of Cowboys, the casino. And we walked that line, and the, the person at the back of the line was one hour away. And they had the biggest smile on their face. They didn't care how long it took. They were there to toss bears. That's what Calgary's all about. So we did the collection. We got to our goal of 18,000 bears, had some really cool stories in there. But mostly, i got to tell you, the smiles and the thank Like, people throwing bears and then thanking you? No, we thank you. But they just were so happy to be out, so happy to be part of something, and you know, we went from our original plan was 45 volunteers out there. But with the AHS regulations, we were down to 10, including parking and, and the whole nine yards. So we did it with a bare minimum staff, and, and we made it work. But, yeah, really proud of that. Really, really proud of that. Really proud that we were able to meet our goal of, of those bears. Um, the scary part for me about those bears is our goal or our need was 18,000. Our need last year was 31,000. So 13,000 bears went away, and unfortunately, I think that's because we've lost charities and groups and agencies and their ability and their capacity through COVID. So that's not a good story. But the fact that we were able to get bears out again in a non-hockey, you're really proud of that. So I'm just yeah. curious about the format. Um, did they they drove up to that little yep. circle and yep. kids jumped out and threw their bears? Nope, or? nope. Uh, nope. AHS, it, it was only vehicles, and you had to stay in your vehicle. So okay. you pulled up up to the four-way stop in front of the north side of the, the um, yeah. uh, dome, and then you pulled in, and Santa Claus greeted you, and that crazy Grinch showed up, and he causes havoc, and there's lights, and there's a, some displays. Um, but we had an incredible company do our lights for us. Steve Burak and his company were incredible. So there was big, giant snowflakes projected up on the dome. There was, on the parkade, there was a series of lights that allowed us to do messaging, Merry Christmas and welcome to Teddy Bear Toss and all kinds of things. And we had inflatable teddy bears that were really popular. And then when you left, I'll get to what you got when you got there, but when you left, we had kids sport, the, the equipment bank, we had the zoo, we had four feet, and then our partners at Siksika put up, uh, we're very honored because they erected a teepee and they decorated it and we had that. So really it showcased our partners, but you drive up, and the first thing you'd stop at would be um, a malt station. So we were able to give everybody who came a free malt, which the, the, the Saddle Dome is known for. So you got a malt, and then you turned around, and you came a little bit further ahead, and you drove up right upside the, uh, 
the uh, inflatable rink. You rolled down your windows and you threw your bears right into the rink. Ooh. I wonder That's if my aim would have been better from the car than it is from the top of the dome. Because I just... <laughs> well, what we it's funny. Sure had... It's it's yeah. funny because one of the adaptations that people made, especially with kids, is they'd pull up, they'd stop, and they'd open the sunroofs. I was going to say, that's yeah. an obvious advantage. Yeah. Cars that have the sunroof versus cars that don't. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And then um, there was a lot of sky hooks. So a lot of dudes with one hand on the wheel and they open the window and then the left hand just sky hooks a bear in. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Um, there were a couple that never made it. Like, or would have make it, but didn't get there on the initial throw and got picked up and put in. But, yeah, it was really a lot of fun. And you can't take that away from people. Like we couldn't just let them, we couldn't take them from them. There's something about throwing something that people love and, and it gives them so much pleasure and it gives them so much enjoyment, just throwing something. So that, oh, yes. that was awesome. My favorite. My favorite. Right? I don't think I've ever missed a Teddy Bear toss if I've been in town for it. And yeah. I'm a little bit biased as my brother played there for five Absolutely. years. Absolutely. I've, he has a big picture frame, um, him being on the ice when the goal was scored, and he jumped in the big pile of bears, and it's just it's just such a cool experience. Oh, yeah, and, I, and, and that's where we'll go. We can't wait to get back to that, but in not doing it or doing it this way, I think we hit a home run doing it this way. Sounds like it. Absolutely, yeah, and it, you said it's a testament to the Calgary community. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Absolutely. Coming out and supporting, even though it's a tough year. Hour long wait, a lot of people. like an hour long wait, sitting in a car with you know a hundred cars in front there. of you, right? Not a, not a negative, not a frown, nothing but smiles. Everybody smiled. It was amazing. Um, there we're running out of time here, but <laughs> I'm just wondering if we could touch on one more thing. Sure. Um, what's your brainchild, Rob's brainchild? Um. Well, I, I guess it depends on what um, what that in what context is that meant. What is my current brainchild? What am I working on? Or there's a bunch yeah, of let's, what's what are you working on right now? Because you always got something cooking in. Your yeah, I'm, we're we're working on um, uh, we're working on some projects. One of which would be um, uh, to directly address uh, racism in, in sport and hockey um, and other and other issues, just in a way that we got to stop doubting kids and just give them the information so that they can process the information. So that's one of the projects we're working on. Um, probably my most passionate project is uh, superheroes, which uh, is something we started three years ago. It's uh, Western Canada's first on ice hockey program for uh, young athletes with cognitive disabilities. So uh, kids with downs and kids with autism. And we've adapted that as well. We've got kids with cerebral palsy now that are playing um, nobody, nobody, nobody should ever be left out. And I, I tell the story all the time. In Calgary, we started it, you know, I guess almost three years ago. Um, and the first ice session, when it was over, I was angry, physically angry. Because it should have never taken this long. It should have never, there sh- was no reason why kids were being kept out of hockey. And these kids give me so much joy and they teach me so many things. And I get to deal with professional athletes, junior athletes, alumni, all of that. And I would take these kids, just the pure joy, the, um, the, the you know, I, I, they came to the teddy bear toss. And one of them wrote a, um, a sign that said, hey, Coach Rob, and the hitman 
thank you for doing the teddy bear toss. That's the kind of kids we have. And um, we've got them working at, at Sports Equipment Bank now. We're giving them experiences there. Um, we do Zoom calls with NHL athletes, and they get to ask questions. And we do skill sessions over Zoom. And they're just the greatest kids in the whole world. And um, the families are part of our families now. And um, it's just so important that nobody be kept out of sport. Nobody. And um, this is just one way of doing it, and we're expanding it and growing. Well, Heroes is. I'm just a volunteer, but Heroes is growing it, and the Superheroes program is is, is probably the biggest the thing I'm most proud of right now is 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 that program and and what it's doing, and it's expanding. Like we're you know if we didn't have COVID, we'd be into Surrey this year, probably Winnipeg, and uh, we're going to put another team in Calgary, another team in Edmonton next year. So really, really proud of that program. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing, um, I actually didn't know you were involved in it until, the, say, about a year ago, but I remember seeing the photo on Twitter, and it's like the kind of apparatus that goes around and helps yep. assist them. K-trainer. And I, like, I grew up skating. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's a K-trainer. Um, like, yeah. Yeah, cutting edge, like, and having that is, that not be a barrier to them getting on the ice is absolutely incredible. So yeah. kudos to heroes and all, all that you guys do. Yeah, no, it's it's the greatest thing, and. And I'm hoping that, you know, okay, we started in hockey, but let's get it in other sports. Let's let's find a way to get kids, you know, and, and listen, Special Olympics does a great job, and, I'm, and we're not trying to compete with Special Olympics, but they didn't have on ice. They had floor hockey and they had figure skating. Um, so, you know, that's a way for us to include more kids. And it's just the way we, you know, I, I'm talking to two elite athletes, and most of your guests are elite athletes. I'm not really worried about elite athletes anymore. You guys are fine. Like, you'll, you'll find your way. You'll get taken care of. My job in life right now is making sure that kids aren't falling out of the cracks and, and, and not getting into sport because of cost or because they're not good or, or whatever. Everybody, every kid needs to play. It's the building blocks of, you know, without getting too political, I think, you know, the one observation I made about this past year is that, the world has too many managers and not enough leaders. And the only place you learn leadership and teamwork is in sport. And we need to be teaching kids that. I get angry every time I go into an arena and I see all the posters for, I'll teach your kid to turn left. I'll teach him to shoot hard. I want to see posters about, hey, how can we be better teammates? How can we be, how can we be of service to our community? All of these things which you guys exemplify on a day-in, day-out basis, which all the great athletes exemplify, that's where we need to be. Would you say that's what you want your legacy to be, is to not have any kid left? No, my home? legacy, yeah. But my la- I just want to be known as a huge pain in the ass. I really do. <laughs> I just, you already did that. We're not worried about that. No, I just, I just I want to be a disruptor. I want to be a disturber because I think that's what sport needs. I think we need more people getting out and, and being a pain in the ass and not accepting, you know, no and and not accepting skyrocketing costs and not accepting all the stuff that become excuses and barriers that's all i want to be that's my legacy i just want to be known as the best pain in the ass calgary had well you're well on your way there rob which is very admirable (laughs) (laughs) we just want to thank you so much for joining us today on the face first podcast well you join us every day but at least this time we get to hear your voice and and have you present and we probably could talk to you for like another 45 minutes if not couple hours but um we'll have to do this again sometime love to love to and i i just i said it before i just want everybody to know like how proud i am of you guys you guys have done an amazing job with this and and we need your voices and you guys are really filling in that role so thank you for what you guys are doing all right thank you thanks rob
KidSport Calgary wants to thank Sport Calgary for providing this podcast platform. Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available online at sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and of course, the latest in Calgary sport. Remember the feeling of lacing up your skates, pulling that jersey over your head for the first time? What about cheering on your teammates in the final seconds of a game? Imagine you never had the opportunity to make those memories. Many kids don't. The power of sport is in how it shapes you in these special moments. It's the memories you cherish today and the stories you tell tomorrow. It nurtures our growth and strengthens our community. Now you can help create lasting memories and fill the gap for other kids who want to play. Help kids sport get more kids off the sidelines and into the game and give the gift of sport today by visiting www.kidsport.ca slash gift of sport.